Good morning, church family. Please stand and sing with us. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a Raise a hallelujah. 
Good morning and welcome to First Baptist. We're so glad you're here this morning. Why don't you take a seat for a moment and as you do that, as you're seated, just turn to those next to you and wish them good morning and welcome to church this morning. We're so glad that you have joined us for worship today. If you are a guest, a newcomer who's worshiping with us, we want you to know that we're especially glad that you're here this morning. And we want to be able to connect with you. And so in the back of the pews throughout our sanctuary, there are these guest registration cards. If you'd like to share your information with us, you can take one of these cards, fill it out later in the service today when we receive our offering. If you would just drop that in the offering plate as it passes by, then we will have your information and we'll be able to follow up and connect with you. It's a great way to let us know if you're looking to get plugged in, you're looking for uh, maybe a place that you, can, uh, that you can study with others, a Sunday school group that you might attend. Maybe you're looking to connect and, and serve in some capacity or just, just looking even just for like, where would I go? What do I do? What's that next step? Well, we want to help connect the dots for you so you can share your information with us and we will be in touch. All right. Also, if you've joined us online this morning for our live stream or you're listening over our local radio broadcast and Cool 105, go to our website, that's fbcchickasha.org, and then you can type in slash connect in the uh, address bar, fbcchickasha.org slash connect, and it'll take you to an online web form that you can give us that very same information. When you came in this morning, you received a worship guide. On the back side of that, there's a place that you can follow along with our message today and take a few notes as we're studying through the book of Romans. We're nearing the end of our nearly year-long study in the book of Romans. We have a few weeks left, and, uh, and I'm excited for us to sort of uh, wrap this up and, and move on into the Christmas season. Advent starts next Sunday. Can you believe that? The first Sunday of Advent is one week from today. We're excited for that and all the things to come. This morning as we continue in our time of worship, I want to go before the Lord in a moment of prayer. And, and so as we do this together, let me invite you that even as I'm praying out loud and voicing a prayer for us corporately, that if you would, I, I would encourage you to pray silently, a prayer something like, Lord, would you speak to me today? God, would you move in my heart? God, would you move in my life? And in some way, just inviting him to move in your heart as we study his word, as we look to respond to that today. Why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes together? And again, I'm going to voice a, a, a prayer publicly, and, and I encourage you to pray privately along with me. Lord, we are grateful for the opportunity to gather in this place today, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us, move in our hearts as we study your word. Would you, would you reveal its truth to us in a way that, that goes beyond just the, the, that baseline of understanding it, but really moves us into the, the posture of obedience and, and, and humbling ourselves before that, that we might live under the authority of your word, that our lives would reflect your truth so that we would shine the light of Christ for others to see. And I pray especially, Jesus, today that you would make the truth of the gospel shine in our hearts so that if there's anyone here that doesn't understand that, today might be the day that they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And for those of us who have surrendered to you by faith, Lord, that you would, that you would move us, stir our hearts for the mission that we've been given to share that good news with others so that all may know you, Jesus, as Savior and Lord. Move in our hearts as we worship you now, we pray. Amen. Why don't we stand together as we continue to sing this morning, church?
pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, give us the, the grace we need to trust you, the faith 
that it requires. Because Lord, we, re we, we confess it requires a measure of faith on our part to, to trust you, to follow you into the unknown. And that Lord, experience teaches us that that's where the real blessing begins. When we trust you, when we act on faith, as we live by the grace which you pour out so richly as we trust in you. Move in our midst now, Jesus, that you may be in all, in all of our hearts, in all of our minds, all in all to us in this moment. We pray, amen. Be seated. Thank you to our team for leading us this week and, and every week. Uh, really, the, the folks who lead us in worship. I'm so grateful for them and the way that they use their gifts to lead us to the throne together in corporate worship. I want to take a moment now to dismiss our children and our leaders upstairs for kids crew. So they're going to meet here at the front and make their way upstairs for a time of worship that is designed just for our kids. As they're doing that, I encourage you to turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, our text for today. We're going to look at the latter half of Romans chapter 15 today as we inch a little bit closer to finishing our study through the book of Romans. This week, of course, is Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is one of my personal favorite holidays that we celebrate. I love Thanksgiving. And so this week we'll gather together in our homes with family and friends and celebrate and give thanks for all that the Lord has done for us. And probably most everybody is going to have some turkey between now and Thanksgiving, right? Uh, some people, I, I get it, some people aren't the biggest turkey fans in the world, and so maybe you'll have ham or maybe you'll have something altogether different, right? Maybe you do the, the totally non-traditional route. But for most, this week we'll eat turkey. But one of the things that I know to be sort of a tricky when it comes to making the Thanksgiving turkey is is just answering the simple question of when is it cooked? When is it ready? Like, how do you know that the turkey is ready? If you pull it out of the oven too soon, well, then, of course, uh, it, it's going to be, it's not going to be cooked all the way through. It could be raw, and that could go bad for all kinds of reasons. If you leave it for too long, I suppose, then it overcooks, and it dries it out, and it just, you know, it just won't be as good. So it, there's a real art to cooking a turkey and getting it just right. Well, I'm thankful that tonight we have our annual Thanksgiving meal and the turkey will be just right. I am, I, I guarantee you, if you come tonight at five o'clock for our Thanksgiving meal, it will be some great turkey and some great company uh, that, that you can come for. But the, the whole idea of cooking the turkey really kind of segues into this particular text because Paul makes a really bold statement in verse 14 to the church in Rome. He talks about them being full of knowledge. And, and essentially, if I, could, if I could say it this way, Paul is saying to the Romans, you guys are fully cooked, like you're ready to go. I know and I'm confident that you, you're ready to go. You've, you've got everything that you need that, that you can do the work that the Lord is calling you to do. But think about, think about discipleship. How, how do you know as a disciple when you are, again to borrow this this idea, fully cooked. How do you know when you're, when you're ready to go? Because if, 
if we're waiting on some kind of an internal measure, an internal barometer or, or of sorts, then the truth is probably most of us never really feel fully prepared for all the things that are out there. And, and in fact, I would even contend, I would often tell people that if you're waiting until you think you know enough, if you're waiting until you think you're spiritual enough or you have it all together, then you'll never be ready because when is enough enough? The reality is that along this path of us being called to be disciples, followers of Jesus, along the way, God will bring people in our path that need to hear the gospel, that need to hear the good news about Jesus. And we have a responsibility. We have, a, I'll use the word, mission, the task of sharing Christ with them. And although you may feel ill-prepared in the moment. You may feel like, I don't know enough. I, I, don't, I don't have enough of the Bible memorized. or I, you know, I, I don't know enough of the stories. Or what if they ask this question? And I get that. I understand the, the apprehension that many feel. The truth of the matter is, if you've trusted Jesus by faith, then you know enough of the gospel to know what it means to, to look to Jesus in faith. Better yet, if you've trusted Jesus by faith, you have God's Holy Spirit inside of you and Jesus himself promises to his disciples in John chapter 14 and 15 that in that moment that you'll have everything you need because the Spirit will guide you. The Spirit inside of you will lead you to understand and know and obey truth. And so if you have the Holy Spirit, if you've responded by faith to the gospel, then you have enough. But I'll go a step even further than that. And I'll say that we do have a responsibility. We do have a, a, a responsibility to study the scripture, to know the Bible, to build our lives around its truth, and then point others to that as well. And so I, I'll, let me encourage you with this. If you don't feel like you are equipped enough, can I challenge you? Then get equipped. Then if, if you feel like you don't know enough, then get started, right? That's what we do with every other thing in life. Uh, I will caution you, don't just Google it like you do every other thing in life, right? I mean, there's a lot of great resources out there. How did we ever do anything before YouTube? Like, every time I've wanted to fix anything in recent memory, I've, I've looked on YouTube. How do, how, do I, how do I change the headlight in my pickup? How do I, what do I do about this thing? Or that, you know, we use, well, you can go on Google and you can, you can get sideways on some things too. But but there's a wealth of resources available to us. And I'll tell you, one of the greatest, and I know many of you in the room are already plugged in and you're already accessing this, but let me just make my pitch that one of the greatest resources you can find for growing in faith and getting equipped is to plug into a group where you can study the word with other people. Each and every Sunday at 9.15, we have people that gather all across our campus we call it Sunday school and we gather and we study the word of God and we share about our lives and we pray for one another and we encourage one another. And it's a great way to grow in your knowledge of the faith. But beyond that, I would just, I would just offer more generally, if you aren't equipped, get equipped. I would love to help you. I, it, would, it would make my heart happy to sit down and talk about ways that you can grow in your faith. That's, that's why I'm here. That's why Brad's here. That's what we see as our role, our task. And if not us, then find someone else. There are, there are a number of ways you can do that. But you need to grow in your faith so that you can accomplish the task that God has given you to share Christ with others. And that's at the heart of what Paul is saying to the church in Rome here. I know that you're ready. And so now he, is, he effectively says, it's time to go to work. And oh, by the way, 
pray for me too as I'm busy about the work that God's called me to. Let's study and let's read it together. Romans chapter 15, starting in verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit, of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have not, excuse me, who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God. On my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Paul is writing here, and you can tell even by just the nature of what he's saying that he's he's winding down his letter, right? I mean, this sounds like this sounds like a benediction of sorts. This sounds like closing statements, closing remarks. And in truth, it is. As he's instructed them for, for 14 chapters, 14 and a half chapters really at this point, uh, he, we've, we've studied verse by verse Paul's instruction to the church. And now as he's winding down, he, he begins to close by way of just reminding them of a few key matters. And at the heart of what Paul is saying here is essentially this. That we should live with the, the, the awareness of the need around us that we might take the gospel to those in need. Now, at first pass, you may think, well, I don't know, I don't see that, but I'm going to help us see that because it's really the heart of what Paul is saying. In fact, I really think verse 20 is uh, sort of the, the key to this, the, the key of what Paul is saying, that it's my ambition to preach the gospel to those who have never heard. And along the same lines, I think we would do well to make that our ambition as well, our purpose, our driving mission, if you will, to share Christ with others. 
Now, a little bit of the background of this before we delve into some of that more, more specifically. We need to understand that when, when Paul writes here about what's going on in Jerusalem and the aid that's been gathered to churches and his desire to come to Rome and how he's been hindered, but now his work is done. So this just kind of fits with the overall story. And, and you get a lot of this from reading in the book of Acts and studying the life, the ministry of Paul in the book of Acts. Paul is writing to the church in Rome. Rome, of course, being the capital of the Roman Empire. And at this point in time, they, the Roman Empire was at its height. It, it ruled much of the, the, the Western world, the modern world. In their eyes, the Roman Empire, really in, in so many aspects, we could say this was the world. I mean, the world, they, they didn't quite literally believe that the world just ended at the edges of the Roman uh, at the Roman Empire's boundaries, but it's almost as if they believed that. I mean, the world as they knew it was the Roman Empire, and the Romans controlled a vast region, and they ruled with an iron hand, and yet the church was alive and growing and flourishing, and even the church in the city of Rome. But Paul had never been to Rome. He had never spent time with the Romans, at least not in any kind of an official mission capacity, not in, a, in the capacity of going there to build the church and, and, and preach. And so he's writing to them that his desire was to come and spend time with them, but the Holy Spirit had, had prohibited him from doing that because there was other work that he was called to do. He was called to share the gospel in, in these other regions, but now Paul has the sense, the awareness that that job is done. I've done the task that I was called to do. And he has an offering that he's been gathering from amongst the churches where he's been ministering and working. And his, his, his task, if you will, is to take that offering back to the church in Jerusalem. Because by the time that Paul is writing and ministering and doing these things, it's in the, it's in the early 60s AD, we believe, in terms of the, the history. And at this point in time, Jerusalem had fallen on really hard times, especially the Christian church in Jerusalem had fallen on really hard times after now years and years of fairly intense persecutions. And so Paul's desire is to gather this offering from other believers and take it and minister to the church in Jerusalem that they might be strengthened and encouraged. And we read in Acts, that's exactly what he does. And in fact, he goes to Jerusalem knowing with the, the, the awareness of mind that when I go to Jerusalem, in all likelihood, I will be arrested as a criminal, arrested and, and tried for crimes against the state. And that's exactly what happened. As he's writing here to the Romans, he says to them, I hope that doesn't take place. I hope to be able to come to you, but I need your prayer. I need your prayer that my ministry in Jerusalem would be well received. Well, what we understand from the way the story plays out in the book of Acts is that, in fact, Paul was arrested and he was tried. And ultimately, he was shipped to Rome because he appealed his sentence all the way to Caesar as a Roman citizen. And we read in other books, particularly in the opening verses of the book of Philippians, for example, that as a, as a prisoner in chains, Paul would preach the gospel so that others came to know Christ through his imprisonment. And that's what God does, even in taking him eventually to Rome. It wasn't the way Paul wanted to go to Rome. Paul wanted to come to Rome as a free man to spend time with the church. Instead, he came to Rome in chains. But even in chains, he preached the gospel and he saw people transformed. This is the heart of a man driven by the gospel. But, you know, Paul isn't just intended to be sort of the, 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 the hero, the heroic example of what you and I can never be. Rather, Paul is the everyman. 
Paul is the one whose life is, is so much like ours. He's just a, he's a guy that caught fire for the Lord, who, who burned with a passion to share Jesus with others. And, and you and I, we can live with that same kind of passion. And I think even Paul's story and his example points us to, to see this. And so I want us to look with, with that in mind. I want to look at these verses through the lens of how this instructs us how we can live, how we ought to live. Not by viewing Paul as some kind of heroic, super godly, supernatural, unattainable figure that we could never hope to be, but rather as one of us. Just a, a guy who loved the Lord and who said yes when the Holy Spirit prompted him. And if you and I will love the Lord and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we too might live according to God's uh, excuse me, Paul's example as, as we see God move in, in Paul's heart and his life. And all of this ultimately is about the gospel. It's about the gospel. Remember in the opening verses of Romans, weeks and weeks ago when we studied, we saw that Paul writes that this is all about the gospel. The gospel is at the center of it all. And it's still, now in the closing verses of the book of Romans, it's still about the gospel. It's still about the good news that Jesus saves That Jesus receives sinners and offers forgiveness of sin and he transforms us and he changes us from the inside out through the power of his Holy Spirit when we trust in him. This is the good news. And we ought to let that good news, that gospel, we ought to let that move us, stir us. So the first thing I see when I look at this passage is I see that the gospel determines our purpose. When we live for the gospel, when we center our lives on the gospel, the way that Paul does and the way he's encouraging us as the, as the audience, even today, hearing this, when we center our lives around the gospel, the gospel determines our purpose. In other words, it's the gospel that, that helps me understand what my life, what my mission, what my calling is all about. And when we hear those words, mission, calling, oftentimes we think about preachers, right? As a, as a preacher, as a, as a pastor, I have a calling of God. And I do. I mean, I can go back, I can pinpoint a very, a very key moment in my life when I knew God was speaking to me, and I knew God was calling me to do this. And I didn't know at 14 years old that I would be standing here in front of you at FBC Chickasha years later. I, I didn't understand and fully grasp all of that, but I knew God was calling me. But the reality is, we all have a call. We all have a mission and a purpose. For me, and for some, that call is, is by way of vocational ministry. God is stirring our hearts. He's leading us to shepherd and, and, and guide the church. But every believer has a calling. Not just a few select pastors or deacons or Sunday school teachers or other key leaders. But every Christian, every believer has a call of God, a task, a purpose to share Christ to minister in light of the gospel. This is our purpose. Look at, what, look at what the way that Paul writes about this here. First of all, he talks about his purpose of instructing one another, right? He says that you, in verse 14, you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Part of the purpose of the church, part of the purpose of believers is to instruct one another, to encourage each other, to push each other to be who we ought to be, to push one another to be the kind of people that, that God is calling us to be, to know the word, to live by the word. Again, that's why we gather together and study the Bible in our Sunday school groups. That's why we, that's why we meet together and do Bible study. That's why we, we don't neglect this weekly time of worship and, and, and our corporate gathering is because we're called to 
to instruct one another, to encourage each other, to live by the gospel. But it's not just in instruction, it's in ministering to each other in moments of need. Keep reading in verse 16, right? He writes about being a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service. Paul's saying that this is my task. My task is to minister, to be a minister of Jesus to Gentiles. And that's not everyone's task, but Paul understands that I have a task to minister. What's that word? The word minister means to meet needs, to bring aid, to help. That's what, that's what we do when we minister. We help one another. And Paul is saying, he's called to help. We're all called to help, to minister to needs as well. I look around our church and I see so many great examples of this, of, of men and women who love the Lord and who have identified areas where, where we need help and they, and they go to work. They jump to action. I mean, literally, every day of the week, every day of the week, I, I can point to some thing in our church that's like a regular rhythm. Well, on Mondays, it's a group of people who show up and count the money for us, right? Who count the offering or it's people who gather together and, 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 and do Bible study. On Tuesdays, it's groups that sit down together and encourage each other and pray with one another. On Wednesdays, there's teams of people who are, who are fixing the meal and people are getting ready to lead kids ministry and Bible study and other things. On Thursdays, oftentimes on Thursdays, we have people again who gather in this place and who pray together, who fellowship together, who who encourage one another, and on and on and on. Like it's a daily thing that people meet in the rhythms of, of life to encourage each other, to minister to needs. And that's what a church does. That's what the church is for. That's why you need the church is so that you can be a part of ministering to others and others are there to minister to you in your moment of need. And Paul points to that here. Even the idea of receiving this offering from certain churches to take that to other churches. That's a whole idea of ministering and, and, and churches working together because we can do more together than we can on our own. He speaks in this passage about reaching the unreached. He, he writes about his ambition to preach the gospel in verse 20, where Christ has already, not where he's already been named, but rather where, he, where he's not been named to take Jesus to those that don't know Jesus. This is what missions is all about, ultimately. But it's not just the kind of missions that leads us to the ends of the earth. It's the missions, the kind of missions that leads us out into our community, into our local world as well. Yes, we're called to make an impact to the ends of the earth. Paul writes about Spain in this passage. In Paul's day in the Roman Empire, Spain was about as far as you could go, right? I mean, Spain was, for them, that was the ends of the earth. And Paul's desire was to get there. And yet, Paul also understood that before he could go to the ends of the earth, he needed to minister on the home front too. And that's true for us. Some, God is calling to go far, a long ways away, a, a far distance to the ends of the earth, we might say. But for all of us, God is calling to minister in the place where we are, in our community, ministering to the needs, ministering to brokenness. There was a lot of brokenness in Jerusalem at this time as they had, they had been living under intense persecutions. Paul's desire was to, was to meet those needs, to, to physically be present, to minister in the midst of the brokenness, right? And so again and again, we see here how the gospel determines our purpose. When we live for the gospel, when we make the gospel our, our driving motivation, when we allow the gospel to determine our purpose, then we seek to 
instruct one another, to meet needs, to share Christ with those that don't know him, to minister to brokenness, to push back darkness. This is what it means for us to minister the gospel and to allow the gospel to determine our purpose. The last thing I would say before we kind of move on to the next point is just simply this. Whatever it is that you do for a living, whatever your, whatever your job is, you have a purpose even inside of that as a minister of the gospel. You may sell insurance. Well, by God's glory and for his good, you're to sell insurance as, an, as a special agent uh, assigned to that, to that mission field. You may teach in the school. Well, for God's glory and, and for, his, for his good, you, you're called into that place to shine the light of Christ. You may uh, work for the city of Chickasha or work in the hospital or work uh, in, 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 the, you know, in the service industry or uh, you, you may be in sales. You may, you may be an engineer. You may, we could go on and on and on, all the things that, that people do. You don't have to be a, a, a preacher. You don't have to be a pastor to minister in the place where God has put you. In fact, honestly, if we were all preachers, we'd be no good, right? There's a few of us is enough. We need, we need an army of people who invade every, every, every square inch of our community who are passionate about the gospel, who see serving others, meeting needs, ministering the gospel they see that as their purpose and frankly when when we live that way we're unstoppable the church becomes an unstoppable force when we live that way because the power of god is greater than anything in this world and when we make it our purpose to take the gospel into the world around us then then there's so much power in that movement may we be a, per- a people who allow the gospel to determine our purpose. Secondly, we see from Paul the challenge here that the gospel would discipline our priorities. Paul writes about his desire to come to the Romans. He had a strong desire to go and be with these brothers and sisters. He had a strong desire to spend time with them and encourage them and they for him as well. And yet, he prioritized God's work above his own desires. He, he writes that the Holy Spirit had hindered him from doing. He was obedient to the Holy Spirit even though his desire was to go. He prioritized the Spirit's work. And he said, you know, I, I want to go, but I'm going to do instead what God is calling me to do. Because he understood that the gospel and living for the gospel, that that should discipline his priorities. And it ought to be the same of us as well. That when we live for Jesus... The gospel disciplines our priorities, meaning that we, we prioritize things that are, that are gospel-centered, that we live with a gospel-centered ambition. I, man, it, it, I'm so convicted here by what Paul writes in verse 20. Thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it's written... Those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. The reason that that is so convicting to me is because Paul lived with a sort of a clarion vision of what, of what Jesus was calling him to do. And I'm convicted that so much of the time, if, if we're not careful, we just live in survival mode. 
that we just wake up every day and it's just trying to get through that haze, get enough coffee, get enough caffeine to get through the cloud and the fog and, and figure out, you know, and, and we hope that by the end of the day we've accomplished a few things on our never-ending to-do list. Paul says, my to-do list is pretty simple. Wake up, serve Jesus, repeat. You know, that's it. Wake up, preach Christ, minister to, G- to people, repeat. That's, that's his purpose. Now, yes, there were other things. Yes, that is a bit of an oversimplification. There's more to it. But it's that kind of driving passion, that kind of gospel-centered ambition that, that I see in Paul that is so convicting. But not only the ambition, but even just the attitude, right? The, notice the attitude. The attitude here is one of that he has is, he is accepted that what will be will be. I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to take this offering and I hope to come to you. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. We'll see. Paul knew what he was walking into. Again, if you go into study more deeply in the book of Acts, you see even that Paul had the awareness of, of he had fully aware of, of what he was stepping into as he returned to Jerusalem and yet... He saw that as the opportunity to be faithful to the Lord's calling, the faithful to the Lord's purpose. And so he prioritized obedience over comfort and convenience. And that's convicting really to us because we have to ask ourselves the question, do I prioritize obedience over my own comfort and convenience? If we're going to live with the gospel at the center, allow the gospel to discipline our priorities. We have to prioritize the gospel above all. So we see a gospel-centered ambition, a gospel-centered attitude. I also see gospel-centered affection. Paul loves a Roman church full of people that he had never met with the love of Jesus. And how does that happen? Because he loves them with the love of Christ. It's a gospel-centered affection as well. Because the gospel disciplined the way that Paul lived and the way he prioritized. Even, even his love for and his care for others was disciplined by that priority of putting Jesus first. Again, that's convicting to me. Because so much of the time, it, it's a challenge. There are people in all of our lives who are, who are a bit difficult and people who are a bit hard to love. And... And if we're going to love them with the love of Jesus, that means that we love them even when it is tough. That we prioritize loving people with the love of Christ over just what comes easy or naturally. By the way, I often joke that if you don't have anybody in your life who's difficult to love, it's probably because you're the one that's difficult and hard to love, right? But the, the reality is when we, when we prioritize the gospel... We love other people with the love of Jesus, even though it may be uncomfortable, even though it may be challenging, even though it may be for us, honestly, at times, painful. We do it because the gospel disciplines our priorities. I prioritize loving people with the love that has been freely given to me, giving others the grace that Jesus so overwhelmingly has poured out on me. Being patient with others. Now we could go on and on, right? When we love others the way that Jesus has loved us, that's a gospel-centered affection that we have. And that's a part of disciplining our priorities. Finally, we see that the gospel drives our prayers. When we live for the gospel, when we make the gospel first in our hearts and our lives, when we, 
when we allow the gospel to determine my purpose, my mission, my call, my every day, when I prioritize my life, when I prioritize the things that I do and I discipline that according to the gospel, having the gospel-centered ambitions, a gospel-centered attitude, a gospel-centered affection for others, when I live that way, then ultimately it's going to drive my prayer life as well. Notice in verse 30, Paul writes, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus, by the love of the Spirit, strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. Paul knew that there were unbelievers in Judea who had it out for him. He was a marked man. And so he says, pray for me, because God's calling me into something that is scary. And yet Paul went with boldness because he was fueled by the prayers of others, the prayers of a broad network of believers, of women and men who encouraged him, who, who instructed him, who, who, uh, who, who gave for him, right? All those things that we've talked about the church doing. Paul is supported by a, a, a whole network of churches in Rome and, and many other cities. Just run down the list of all the Bible names, right? And you'll, you'll get through the list of many of those churches. Corinth, Galatia, which is a whole region, Ephesus, in, in, in Philippi, you keep going, Colossae, on and on and on, Thessalonica. And, and, and Paul is, he's built this broad base of churches that, are, that he's supporting and are supporting him. And, and he's saying, pray for me as I've prayed for you and ministered to you. And that's what, that's what we do in the church. We pray for each other. We encourage one another. We pray for the lost. We pray for those who don't know Jesus. We pray that they may come to know Christ. When a brother or sister is hurting, we pray for them. When someone is experiencing a a season of brokenness or difficulty or pain, we, we stand with them and we come alongside them and we lift them up in prayer. The gospel drives us, it leads us to pray for others. Fueled by this love for the love of Christ and a love for our our brothers and sisters in Christ. We pray for one another. But not only do we pray, notice this, that prayer then motivates us to go. Paul says, pray for me so that I would go. And we pray for one another so that we too may go. We may go into our community. We may go by stepping into the lives of others, ministering to them in the midst of their brokenness, preaching the gospel where Christ has never been named, which just is an easy way to think of that as just sharing Jesus with those who don't know him, right? We make that our purpose and our, that our ambition, our driving motivation, that we would pray for each other, that our prayers may motivate each other, that we may be encouraged to go. And so this morning, as we think on, on this, man, I, I hope you're challenged to live with the gospel at the center of your heart, the center of your life. I hope you're challenged to allow the gospel to determine your purpose. I hope that you're challenged to allow the gospel to discipline your priorities and that you're challenged to allow the gospel to drive your prayers. But you know, that only happens when we submit by faith to the gospel. That can only happen when we respond to Jesus Christ as Savior. And that's really what the gospel is. The gospel, that word gospel even just means good news. 
It's literally, it's from an old English phrase, the God spell, which means it's the good news. The gospel is the good news. It's the good news of how Jesus saves those who turn to him in faith. And if you're here this morning and there's never been a moment in your life when you have turned to Jesus in faith, then I want to encourage you that you begin a life of purpose, priority, and prayer by submitting to Jesus in faith, by surrendering to the gospel. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of invitation. And when we stand and we sing this song, we're going to sing this song. The name of it is, O Come to the Altar. And even as we sing that song and we're singing, O Come to the Altar, maybe that's exactly what the Lord is stirring you to do this morning, is to come to the altar. I'll be standing here at the front. Brad, our our youth pastor, Brad Duncan, will be standing here at the front as well. And we would love to, to share with you how you can submit your life to Jesus, how you can trust him by faith today, by calling on him as Savior and Lord. Oftentimes, if I'm explaining that to someone, I use a very simple formula, A, B, C, right? We all learned the ABCs. We know what the ABCs are. Well, I can use that as a, just a simple roadmap for trusting Jesus and submitting to the gospel. A, I admit my sin and I acknowledge my need for a Savior. B, I believe in Jesus, His power of forgiveness, that He has the power, the ability to forgive my sins, to come in my life and to change me, to transform me. And C, I confess Him as the Lord and the Savior of my life. And today, if you're ready to acknowledge Jesus as Savior, to confess Him as Lord and Savior, turning from your sin, turning to Jesus as Savior, then I pray that even while we sing that song, that you would do just what it says, and you would come to the altar, and you would surrender your life to Jesus today, so that you can begin this life centered around the gospel, centered around the good news. And for all of us who are here, my prayer is that we would be moved to a life of purpose, priority, and prayer as we make the gospel the heart of who we are. Would you join me as we bow our heads together, we close our eyes, and, and the reason we do that simply is just to also to, to, to focus our hearts so that in this moment, as we pray together and then afterward as we stand and sing together, that, that, we, might truly, that we might truly respond in the way that God is leading us, that we would respond in what I'll just say is, is, is in a measure of humble obedience as God is drawing us to trust him by faith to center our lives on the gospel. Lord Jesus, we pray this morning that you would move in our hearts. Our desire is to know you by faith and to center our lives around your gospel, your good news. That we would be a people of purpose, a people of priority, people of prayer who make the gospel the heart of of what we do. And so move within us now as we seek to make you first, first place, first priority, first in our hearts, Jesus. All this we pray by faith. Amen. Let's stand this morning together and even as we sing this song, if God is stirring your heart and moving you to respond in obedience to Him, our staff will be here at the front and I would encourage you that you would respond in obedience this morning as the Lord leads while we sing.
May that be the, not just the, the, the words of a song, but really the, the, the attitude of our hearts today. When we think of coming to the altar. What do you, an altar is a place where you come for worship, right? I mean, that's really where the word even comes from. An altar is a place of sacrifice. And what are we sacrificing in worship? Well, we're, our lives. We're saying, God, here I am. My worship is to give you me. My worship is to sacrifice myself. I want to make my purpose, my priorities. I want to make those things about you. I want to encourage others in prayer. I want to be encouraged by the prayers of others. That we, we make our lives and, and our, our worship, our, our response of obedience. Our prayer is this morning that you, would, that you would live that and that our lives would reflect the truth that we just sang together. Amen. Why don't you be seated this morning? I want to point your attention one more time before we receive our offering to our guest registration cards. Again, if you are a guest, a newcomer who's with us today, if you just fill that out and drop that in that offering plate as it passes by, that'd be your gift to us this morning. We want to be able to connect with you beyond this room and this moment and and sharing that information is a great way for us to be able to do that. I want to ask our men to take our place for our offering this morning and as they're getting situated around the room. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer after I pray. While we receive the offering, Brad's going to come and share some announcements just so that you can know about things. Yes, you have the ability to read. You can read the announcements, but we want to highlight a few key things along the way just to, uh, just to emphasize those. And so he's going to do that while we receive the offering this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, use this offering to reach those that don't know you. Much as Paul praise and, 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 and talks about his ambition to preach the gospel where it's not been preached, to make the name of Jesus known where it isn't known. Lord, may, may we too make it our purpose. And, and we understand part of the way that we prioritize that is through giving, is through putting you first, even with our, our finances. And so Lord, use these offerings to help us accomplish the mission, the purpose that you've given us. We ask in your name. Amen. Thank you, Michael. Good morning, church. A few things I want to draw your attention to. Um, we will be having our Thanksgiving meal today at 5, thir- at five Sorry, at 5 in the fellowship hall. Uh, before that, at 4.30, will be our monthly business meeting. Um, we will meet in the parlor for that. Um, so be here for that, if you would. Um, and then we will be, sorry, sanctuary for the business meeting and then the fellowship hall for our meal. So make sure you make note that we have uh, our monthly business meeting before the, the Thanksgiving meal. Thanksgiving meal, uh, the, you don't have to bring anything but yourself. Bring your family. Uh, maybe you bring um, someone that you would like to uh, invite to our church. Maybe that's a, a, a non-intimidating way to bring them into our church doors. It'll be a great opportunity for that. Um, Haven Chores, there are still students that are needing uh, some jobs to do to earn money to go on the ski trip with the Haven, the Fire and Ice Retreat. So if you have any of those, please uh, let Chad know. You can email Chad as soon as possible so that we can get those uh, accomplished. They can uh, earn their money so they can go on that trip. There will be no evening services this Wednesday, so make note of that as well. Um, our church office hours, we will be closing at noon on Wednesday. And then um, our parents' night out. Uh, is coming up soon. It is December 2nd from 5.30 to 8.30. And if you have a child or children that you'd like to drop off for that, please email 
um, either Charlotte or Donna, so that we can know the numbers for that. Uh, the information is here. If you have uh, any questions, you can ask either Charlotte or Donna about ages and other things like that. And uh, be in prayer for our students. United Weekend is coming up December 3rd. Uh, they are aware of that. So if you, they have not told you that that is coming up, please ask them about that. Uh, the, the cost and things involved, that's coming up soon. And really, I'm looking forward to our Thanksgiving meal. Um, come let uh, Dennis and his crew serve you uh, today and enjoy that fellowship with other believers uh, and other church members. Thanks. All right. It is going to be, it's a, a, a very full day, a lot of things happening with uh, 3.30 deacon meeting, 4.30 business meeting, 5 o'clock dinner tonight, so a full day of activities, and so we want to encourage you to be back tonight, a great time of fellowship. Our, our, our goal, our aim, if you will, the, the task for tonight is, is fellowship, I mean that's it, when we get together we, 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 we eat, we, we fellowship, we have a good time. We've got basically everything set up, tables and chairs wise. So we've got them all throughout the fellowship hall and, and spilling over into the parlor as well if we need the extra space. So we're expecting a big crowd. We hope you'll be here tonight and be a part of that as we celebrate together and give thanks because we've got a lot to be thankful for. God's been good to us and, and we want to celebrate and thank him for his goodness. As we prepare to be sent on our way this morning, I hope you'll think of it in, in that light. That, that we gather in order to be scattered, that we, we, we accept as a church that our mission, our purpose is to love all people to faith in Christ and multiply disciples. And so when we gather in this place, it's to encourage one another, to be instructed by the word, to pray for one another, to cooperate together by pooling our resources our, and, 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 our, and, and stewarding those things for the kingdom. But, but the church is not the the bricks and the walls and, and, and the building that you see. This is just the building where we gather. The church is us. It's the people. We are First Baptist Church. And we come together in this place to worship the Lord, but then we leave this place and we infiltrate every corner of our community with the gospel. And much like I said when I was preaching, if we do that, then we're unstoppable because it's the power of God in us that really that's unstoppable. You and I on our own, oh yeah, we're pretty stoppable. But the Lord working through us is unstoppable. And, and if we're all working together, networked and, and serving and, and striving and encouraging each other together, think of the power of God that would work through us, flow through us, the love of Christ ministering to the brokenness around us. Church, that's our call and our purpose. Let's be a people of purpose, of priority and prayer who work together to take the gospel to those that don't know Jesus. Love you guys. Thanks for being here this morning. We are sent to share Jesus with others. I'm on the sea in the middle of a storm.